Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's show. This is the first episode I've recorded in quite a long time, actually. I had planned to have a little bit of a break at the end of August. It had intended to be a couple of weeks, but it's turned into a far longer break. I'm sure none of you have been losing any sleep over it, but I do apologise for those who were perhaps listening to this on a regular basis and it's just paused. The good news is I am back with this episode and we'll be recording new episodes um, now in the run-up to Christmas. Today's episode is with Sir James Waits. Now, Sir James is the chairman of the Waits Group and also the chairman of the Institute for Family Business, who obviously support this show, but also do some fantastic work in celebrating and championing the family business sector here in the UK. They also have a significant role to play in terms of the influence on policymakers here as well. So uh, I'm joined by Sir James to firstly talk a bit about his role, a bit about how he sees um, the role of the IFB going forward and in particular the initiative which we're celebrating this week, which is Family Business Week. If you're listening to this and you are family business, please do get involved on social media. Follow the Twitter account at Family Biz Week and share your stories, share your photos, celebrate. Let's get as many people as we can involved in celebrating Family Business Week. Head over to the website as well, which is familybusinessweek.co.uk to read some case studies and hear about the experiences of other family businesses. So without further ado, I will pass you over to the interview with Sir James. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, as I say, please share and celebrate uh, your family business. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. We have a special episode this week focusing on Family Business Week, which we will introduce and explain during this episode. But I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by Sir James Waits. Firstly, James, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Nice to be here. And as I say, we're going to be talking about... Family Business Week and the initiative from the Institute for Family Business. But perhaps before we get into the detail around that, could you give the those in the audience that aren't familiar with you and your role a sort of a history of who you are and how you came to be doing what you're doing today? Okay, I'll keep it relatively brief, but hopefully interesting. So I joined our family business, which is a fourth generation building, contracting, housing and development company, which originally started in the southeast of England and actually in South London, um, 125 years ago next year. It was started by my great grandfather. He then had three sons who went into the business. 
Those three sons then had six sons who went to the business. Those six sons then had uh, another five sons who ended up in the business, wow. of which I'm one. And it's it's been great fun. I've been in the business 38 years, full-time on the payroll. Fantastic. Um, but I, I started age 15 working on site, pushing a broom, as as I think one does in family businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a great way of starting and really got me engaged in it. Um, alongside that, I remember my career developed through the, the, the business itself. I, I, I would describe myself very much as a builder. I, I ran a couple of sites on my own as a site manager. Then I moved into a general management role in one of the business units in 1989. I then moved into a business development role in the mid-90s, which is an interesting time because we were coming out of recession. Yeah. Growing up business, but that was, again, great fun. And I joined the group board in 1997, and I've been there ever since. I was appointed chairman in 2013, so nine, coming up for nine years ago. And it's been it's been a heck of a journey. It's been thoroughly enjoyable, very demanding, and fun, actually. So, you know, I, I can look on where I've got today with a, a degree of satisfaction. And then, of course, I've done a lot of stuff outside the business. I've, uh, I've been involved with industry bodies, Build UK, which is our main trade association, in the construction sector, I chaired the construction industry training board for eight years. I was on the board for another four or five years prior to that. So I've always done stuff alongside the business. So when I was approached to step into the chair role at the IFB, I thought, well, it's time to put something back um, into mm-hmm. the family business side. And I'm delighted to be doing it. And I'm actually following my uncle Andrew. He was involved. Um, he did his time in the chair. So I suppose we're continuing a, a family engagement with it, which I think is, is very important. So it's, yeah, it's been fun. And I'm really excited about the challenges that we face in the IFB. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and perhaps we'll go into a little more detail on, on some of those as we progress through this show. I'm interested in terms of the external roles that you take away from the family business. There's obviously benefit to those organizations for having your experience involved in them. But presumably, is that something that also benefits the operations within the family businesses? You're able to garner some sort of experience and knowledge from others in your industry and um, that side of it to bring back into the work you're doing with the family business? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely critical. You know, you, if, you can get very inward looking as a family business. It, it's been described in the past as navel gazing. When we were based in, in Norbury in South London, you know, we, we were very mindful of not being navel gazing in Norbury. So to, to reach out and do stuff outside has, has always been something that family have done actually, because it gives you different perspectives away from family, away from your own business, and you can bring that in. And I have to say, my experiences outside the business have been incredibly helpful in terms of the way I, I, I occur and the way I, I engage with the business. I think it's, it's given me a, a much much more breadth than I would have had if I just carried on plowing the, the weights furrow. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, today marks the start of Family Business Week. And before we get into some of the details around that, uh, I appreciate that we might be slightly um, biased here, but how important do you think it is that the role of, that family businesses play here in the UK and beyond, uh, how important is it that that's recognised? I, I think it's critical. And again, that's one of the reasons I, I stepped up into the role, because I, I, I felt we needed to, to shout the good news about family business from the rooftops. There are over 5 million family businesses in the UK, let alone the, the number globally. And that's about 80% of all, all businesses, 86% of all businesses actually are represented by 
family in some way, shape or form. As family businesses, we employ over 14 million in the, in the UK, which is a huge amount of people. And alongside that, we contribute more than 200 billion pounds in taxes. Mm. So you know, we're not insignificant to the economy and the economic prosperity of the country. And therefore, I, I very firmly believe that we need to make sure that our voice is heard, that the policies that are put in place that affect business also take into account the dimension that family businesses have, which is, you know, it is different to many PLC type businesses that are not family owned or privately owned. And I think we need to really make sure that we're on the front foot, informing policymakers about the things that are going on, the things that they're thinking about and how they might impact us. But I'm, I'm a real believer that we need to be working with the policymakers rather than whinging. Uh -huh. You've got to get on the front foot and come up with solutions because, you know, they're, they're policymakers for a reason. It's not going to be difficult. They want to make a difference. So we've got to be alongside them trying to make a difference, in my view. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think one of the important elements in terms of recognising family business twofold really is obviously family businesses across all the different sectors in the UK and a lot of focus is given on say the retail sector or the construction sector or the hospitality sector but family businesses are spread across all of those sectors and so having that representation at policy level is going to be a very positive thing for industries across the the UK because family businesses are so diverse across those but also I think there's a misconception sometimes that family businesses is a, a kind of a mum and pop shop type organization but your business is obviously a very large business and there are very large family businesses um, in the UK as well as the, the smaller firms as well and presumably part of your role is helping to represent across the board in that sense as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen that you know, the, the, the misnomer about family business being the mom and pop shop, as you say, is, is laid to rest. You know, there are massive families. I mean, you know, we're not insignificant. We're, we turn over about one and a half billion, 1.6 billion. And we, thought we employ directly about 4,000 people. And we're not one of the biggest. We're, we're not, not as substantial, as I said. But there are many, many family businesses that would employ 50 to 100 to 250 people, making a real significant um, impact on the community they, they operate in and to the economy they're in. And I think in, in that context, to be promoting the, the stability, I think, that comes from family businesses and the stewardship that comes from family businesses right across the sectors is, is absolutely right. It, it's not about a particular sector. It's about how we, we, we occur as family businesses right across the, the business spectrum. And again, I think, you know, that the we can work at the IFB very, very, very positively with other trade associations. So let, let's take at one end of the spectrum, the um, CBI, who obviously represent big business. They would claim, and I support this, that actually they, can, they support business. They rep represent business generally, but inevitably that it's, it's, a, it's a bigger business organization. And then at the, end of the, the other end of the spectrum, you've got the FSB, the Federation of Small Businesses, who a lot of family businesses will be members of. And to me, the, the IFB has a unique role to play because it's about all family businesses, big and small. And it's, it can bring it all together and actually be a, a gearbox between the, the thinking that goes on in an organisation like CBI and the FSB, where they might say, well, you know, we're so far apart that we can never actually be on the same page. But actually we can because of the unique, unique way that family businesses operate. Yeah, again, completely agree on that. And given their importance to 
the UK economy, given the significant number of family-run enterprises in the UK, it's great to see organisations like the IFB championing family businesses through initiatives like the one we're going to be discussing today, which is Family Business Week. Can you give us a kind of overview of what the purpose of the initiative is, what the aim of it is? Sure. I think, first and foremost, it's actually a celebration. It's a celebration of family businesses and what they do. And and actually, the fact that we've survived um, the pandemic and we're moving forward very strongly. What we don't do is shout about it. A lot of family businesses would would almost not say they're a family business, whereas I'm a, it's a, it's a it's a real sales differentiator the fact you're family owned. I mean, in, in, in my business, I will often talk to customers who will say, well, the reason we like working with you is because there's a continuity we get with the family business, because you will be there. You know, if we're talking to a, a PLC, for example, the chief executive might not be there in two, three, four years time, but the family in a family business will always be there. So there's a real confidence that you can actually, you can get in touch with people who, who actually care. And I think that's something that we really want to, to promote, promote and celebrate. And that, I think is, is something we don't shout about enough. I think the other thing we're doing, using it to, using Family Business Week, to share great stories, because there are many family firms that do great things in their communities, because a lot of them are very close to the communities in which they're, they're founded and indeed operate. And I think they've done a huge amount. And I think we saw almost the best of it during the pandemic, when the caring side that comes through the family businesses really stepped up. And I think a lot of businesses got worked outside their comfort zones they did things in their community to support their communities and i think that was incredibly important i mean from our from our perspective you know we got involved in, in it works on the royal Aunt hospital uh, on the nightingale hospital to, to do that because it's something we had the ability and the skills to do there was a need to do it and we got on and did it it was incredibly satisfying for the people from our teams who were involved with it and i think all family businesses have had that sort of example of, of how they've just roll their sleeves up and got on with things. I think as well, in terms of that celebration, as you say, it's because it's sector agnostic. It, it's something that we're celebrating all family businesses here in the UK during this week. And there's a number of things that the IFB are doing. For, for those that are listening, if they head over to Family Business Week uk. there's a, a number of ways for, for people to get involved and, and the stories to, to be shared and also on social media following on twitter particularly at family biz week lots of different things happening on on that how, how else can families get involved and and sort of share their stories and celebrations i i, I think russ you, you've outlined the best ways of doing it there but actually it's it's just perhaps standing back and thinking well you know, what, what is different about us? What, what, what do we do that we think makes us special as a family business? And just think, well, who can we tell about it? You know, talk to your local MP. You know, I, I think I, I get incredibly frustrated. Family businesses are all over the country and we don't interact with the politicians to the extent we should to tell them that, you know, this is the sort of thing we do as a family business. Come and see what we do. Come and talk to us so that we actually have advocates in Parliament rather than it's just, you know, a family business. Well, they're just a business. Mm. We are not just a business. We are much more than that. So I, I think it, it is going through the routes you, you outlined, but really just thinking about you know, what is it that makes us special? Be, be proud of it. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, might be slightly biased given this is the family business podcast, but I think the more that we can do to help um, celebrate the family business um, sector here in the UK, the, uh, 
the better. You mentioned that you've recently um, taken on the role as chairman of the IFB, and we've heard already from from what you've spoken about how passionate you are about the sector and, and some of the aims that you're having to or, or looking to achieve with uh, your role. What, what more is it that you're looking to achieve it in that um, position? Because obviously it is a, a significant position to, to take on. And, and what is it that you're looking to achieve whilst in the role? Okay, well, I suppose there are, there are, I think there's two sides to what we're trying to do at the IFB going forward. Um, one is increasing the advocacy and engagement around policymaking so that we're actually really delivering business benefit to IFB members. So we're actually fighting their corner in the corridors of power on a well-informed basis and actually taking examples to the policymakers of the impact of policy decisions and what they can have on family businesses. I mean, I recall a conversation we had around the public interest entities where they're talking about you know, having a greater catchment of businesses that have to report on their performance to the, to the public. And we were saying there was a, a round table and there were a number of family businesses around that table who were saying, if these um, regulations come into place and we have to do that level of reporting, it will be a disincentive to growing our business. Mm-hmm. And that is at a time when you know, we're hearing from the Prime Minister how important it is to, to build back better, to grow the economy, to move forward. And yet you've got a, a, a potential regulation coming in that will be a burden to business, that will actually close down its, its ambition to grow. And it was the, the uh, business department were, were on that roundtable conversation, and you could see their jaws almost dropping when they were hearing this. And you think... That's what we've got to do. We've got to give real stories about what the impact of perhaps ill thought through uh, potential policy making can have on on family business. Business generally, but from our perspective, obviously family business particularly. So that's one side of it. And the other side, which I think is the the bedrock of where the IFB came from, the the sharing of experience with other family businesses in a, a very safe environment. Because fundamentally, I think there there is a recognition that a family business for ongoing generations can be a great legacy, but equally it can be an incredible burden. Mm. And I think sharing with others who are experiencing that on the way through, I think is a very, very important aspect of what the IFB is going to do. So we will absolutely continue to have that sort of engagement of families coming together and sharing their their experiences to help others work through. And and I I think that's that's one of the things that makes us very, very special. Yeah. uh, I absolutely agree on that. And one of the elements to the IFB that you touched upon there is is the sense of community. And because it's the family business element that brings people to that community, whilst you might not be talking about something that's specific to the sector that you're operating in or even the geography that you're operating in, because there's the commonality of being in business with your family, there's not actually that many other places to be going to talk about that experience in the same way as they can, as, as businesses can do within the IFB, because it is, it's a community for family businesses. And it's a, a safe environment for people to have discussions about, well, how do we deal with transitions of ownership and transitions of um, management responsibility, trying to get that balance right between it being a, a legacy and, and perhaps feeling like a, a burden. It, it's a great place to be able to have those conversations with like-minded, open, sharing and sort of caring people. Absolutely. And, and I think if I go back to the, 
the genesis of the IFB when you know we first got involved through my uncle Andrew it was at a time we were planning transition from generation to generation and because of his engagement we suddenly realized that we were not unique there were many other families going through the same sort of challenges now you won't get the same answer for every family because every family is different and the family dynamics are different but by in, a, in that safe environment that you described be able to to test thinking and bounce things off other people you actually start to get an idea of the way you want to go about it and i have to say from our point of view we found it incredibly helpful and that was 20 years ago and so i'm i'm, I'm a huge advocate yeah, the, the thing I notice most is how comfortable and open that the conversations can be for, from a very early stage in, the, in those environments, rather than it feeling like, well, we can't, we can't give anything away, we can't put anything on the table because we, we'll be vulnerable or, or judged. I think the opposite is the case, is that it, it's a very much an environment where you can put things on the table and you can show your vulnerabilities because... Because of that, I, I refer to family businesses as collectively unique. In as exactly you say, the family dynamics are different amongst all family businesses, but some of the challenges that are being faced are common challenges. And sharing experiences around those is one way of looking at how to tackle it and bring external thinking. We, we mentioned at the sort of earlier in the show about the experience or the advantage of bringing in. Um, that external experience, hearing from other families about how they've approached challenges and um, issues that they're facing is is a great way to start to address those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And we've heard, obviously, you're passionate and, and a champion for responsible and, and purpose-led businesses. And whilst we're here to discuss family business week it would be a little remiss of me to have you on the show and then not discuss the weights principles which obviously you were part of the coalition team that led the development of these principles for those in the audience again who perhaps haven't heard or aren't familiar with the the weights principles can you give us a bit of an overview and then perhaps we can chat about how all businesses can use these to become a force for good which is one of the themes for family business week sure so as is so often the case, when it was announced that the government were going to have a review into reporting in family businesses, I, I started to throw my toys out of the pram and said, this is ridiculous, more regulation, it's going to be a nuisance, blah, blah, blah. I then got, got approached, it'd be really good if you could chair this coalition group that's going to be looking at uh, how this should work. And I thought, well, perhaps it's better to be involved and engaged and try and do some shaping around it than just be on the outside, always criticising. So I... I did join the coalition group and they asked me to chair it. And very quickly it became clear, there's a wide group of stakeholders from CBI, Institute of Directors, Venture Capital Association, and a, num- a number of um, other institutions and so on, who had an interest in this. And what we, what we decided very early on was we didn't want to have a code like the reporting code for public listed companies. We felt that was not right. So we came up with the idea of having principles that would stand the test of any good business and any good business would do these and if you actually report on those people can see that you're actually doing things the right way so we came up with the six principles and and the the first first one really about purpose and leadership so that's the north star this is what we're about this is if you don't know what your business is doing and you don't know how you're going to lead that business then you're probably going down a blind alley. So we said, get this North Star out and actually say what what it is important that you are about and the guiding star. The second principle was very much around the board composition because a lot of family businesses and private businesses um, might be 
really the entrepreneur founder and his wife as the directors. Going back to our earlier conversation, that's not necessarily getting the best input into how you, you know, run your business and the, the breadth of thought that comes into it. So board composition is, is very important. There's no, no fixed answer for that. It's very much dependent on the size and scale of the business and the complexity of the business and such like. But from a waste point of view, we've, we've had non-executives involved in our business since, probably since the 60s, late 60s, when my father's generation took over. Right. They saw the benefit of having outside voices, giving them um, guidance. Uh-huh. Um, and we've done that ever since. And we, we really find it incredibly, incredibly helpful. Something else that then came out under principle three was the board responsibilities, because it became quite apparent that a lot of people take on title of director without understanding what their responsibilities are as a director. Um, you know, under Section 172 of the Companies Act, it's, it's pretty clear what you've got to do. And we said, you know, you've got to understand your director responsibilities, because if you don't, you, the chances are you can get into trouble, you'll make a mistake or whatever. And then we, we went down to the what I call the bottom of the pyramid, the real building blocks. And there's always an op- a focus on risk. And we took the view that there's too much focus on risk and not enough focus on opportunity uh-huh. because you need to offset all the risk with the opportunity. Because if you become totally risk averse then your business will stall, it'll stagnate and you, you, will, you will not go forward. So you've always got to counterbalance the risk with the opportunity. So opportunity and risk was very, very important to the coalition group. And I think it, it, was, it was absolutely right to do that. The, 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 the fifth building block the, the, the middle uh, bit of the, the pyramid was probably the most contentious one insofar as it was remuneration. Uh-huh. Because I mean, I have a view that the remuneration in a private company is between the owners of that company and the people it employs to run that company, be they family, be they professional executives, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and actually it is, it is nobody's um, business. But actually in this world, you cannot take that black and white view. So we said, yes, we should report on our um, remuneration, but it's more about the philosophy rather than the, the quantum. So I think it's, it's important, that we, it, and we felt it was important, but it came across that actually you're looking at your remuneration in the context of the company, the sector you're in, and the balance of remuneration right across the business. So you don't have the massive differentials that you get in some businesses between various bandies and so on. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that that landed quite well. And then the, fi- the final one was stakeholder engagement. Uh-huh. Um, because people say, well, how are you going to be held to account on this? Well, you'll be held to account, held to account in, in the course of public interest um, and public opinion. So if you are saying you're doing something and you're not, in this day and age, you'll be called out for it with yeah. social media and all that sort of thing. So actually engaging with your stakeholders be it clients, be it shareholders, be it um, workforce, be it the communities in which you're working, whatever, you've got to tell them what you're doing. So what is your communications policy for your stakeholder group? And we just felt that those six principles were, they were good to go. I mean, we spent a lot of time working them through, but they would they would stand the, the test and the rigor of anybody saying, so what's it going to do for us? And it's a bit like holding a mirror up to yourself and saying, Okay, do we do this? And if we don't, should we? And you may choose not to. But you know, when you're reporting under the Companies Act requirements, you you actually can can make that decision. But you are reporting on that that you're not doing. It. So I think it, it's 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 been pretty effective from a waste point of view. We've been reporting on them obviously 
since before they came into force because we felt we should probably show a bit of leadership on that. And so we're now on the third iteration and about to produce the fourth. And it's every year we get better understanding what we want to do in using those principles to actually demonstrate that we are a good business, well, well done. It's a bit for society. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the important side of it is that they are um, guiding principles rather than, say, the tick list of this is what it has to um, look like. Uh, and also, my understanding of it is that they apply from a, a corporate governance perspective to businesses of certain sizes, but actually their application can be across businesses of all sizes. And what you were mentioning before about the every business starts with a founder. And in order to get to a, a large size, they need to go through a growth process. And that growth process can be quite painful, again, particularly when there's family members involved and the need to perhaps introduce external board members, to introduce external expertise into senior management teams. And those transitions can be complicated. But, but I see these principles as acting as a way of helping guide businesses through that as well, because it might not be that they have to do everything in order to get to reporting against it, but using them as a benchmark through their growth journey helps them to, to do that in a, a smoother way. Would, would, would you agree with that viewpoint? Yes, and that's very much what we, we set out to do, is to set out a template for what any good business would, would do in, in very simple terms. And you know, behind those six principles, there are guidelines as to how one could go about implementing not a tick list, as you say. It's not saying, oh, we've done that tick. It's, it's all yeah. about, so how can we use that principle to develop the particular part of our business? And I, I've, it's, the feedback we've had is it's landed incredibly well. And the FRC of just the Financial Reporting Council have just um, completed the um, first, first review, which has been very, very um, insightful as to the take-up of reporting and the number of companies that are using the weights principles as their method of reporting. And I think I think it will grow momentum. My concern is that with the focus that government currently has on widening the net for um, PIEs, it might have a, a detrimental effect on take-up because people will defer doing it while they wait for what the next iteration is, um, mm. which I think would be a shame and the feedback we've given to the government from the FRC is, look, you know, let's see how this works first rather than, you know, pull up the plant to inspect the roots to make sure it's okay. Yeah. Um, that's probably not the best thing to do. Let's nurture the plant a bit. Absolutely. And considering businesses are currently operating against um, a backdrop of a global pandemic, and here in the UK, we're currently navigating a post-Brexit um, landscape. Th things are complicated from, from a business perspective anyway. And given that backdrop, what advice would you give to family businesses to help them to thrive in this environment? I suppose be bold, be, be true to yourself, be true to your values, and just, yeah, believe in yourself, um, believe in your plan, put out a plan and, and really go for it. And I think recognise that you know, every company is different. I think the the new business environment we have demonstrates that actually you've got to be flexible, you've got to be adaptable, um, you've got to recognise that that you know the shifting sands of the market are something that is out there at the moment, and, and we've got to be you've got to be agile, you've got to be able to to deal with what's coming at you. But I don't think 
it, it means that your purpose should change. I think you should absolutely you know, stick hard by your ethos that you, you believe what you're doing is good. And one of the things we always say about family businesses, you know, we can take a longer term view. We don't have short term shareholder pressures. Um, uh -huh. Yes, of course, we have to maintain sustain, um, profitability. We have to maintain cash and so on because uh, we have to stay in business. But actually, you can make long term decisions, whereas you know, a lot of people in in business are much more forced into the short term. So I would say do that. And, you know, never miss opportunity, but join the IFB. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And for, for those, again, who, who might be listening, who, I mean, the, the show itself is supported by the IFB. So I would hope that most people would know how to, to get in touch in order to find out more. But where's the best place for them to find more about the IFB and the work that you're doing? Well, in, in this day and age, of course, it's the website. You know, the, the website is the, 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 the repository of, of everything about the organisation. And, you know, we are very much looking to keep it refreshed, keep it moving forward, keep it relevant, because a, a website that is static becomes like an old book, you never pick uh -huh. it up. Um, yeah. But actually, it needs to be much more about, much more like a magazine, so it's very current, and you actually want to go through it, and you want to see what's going on, and you want to engage. So uh -huh. I would say website absolutely is, is the, the, the front and centerpiece to, to access. Fantastic. And just as a reminder to um, the audience, there is the IFB website, which is ifb.org.uk, and specifically for Family Business Week to hear some of the stories that are being told uh, and case studies that are being shared on there. And that is familybusinessweek.co.uk. So James, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's very exciting to hear firstly about this initiative, but also for the plans you have for the IFB and I wish you every success with um, those and obviously anything we can do to support that we're very happy to, to do so but thank you again for joining us on the um, show today. Ross, very nice to meet you. Thanks for listening, I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.